Today's sermon text is from John 16th chapter, 12 through 15th verse. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I told the first service, it always feels like coming home to family when we get to be here at Renewal. I see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces, which is great. Uh, God is, is blessing this family as it grows. And uh, it's just a joy to be with other people who love Jesus. It's great to be with others who are united with the same spirit of, of purpose and vision and hope that transcends all the minutia of life. And so we have that. We share that together. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, um, we, we are connected as family, as the family of God. Uh, but there's, you know, there's another reason that many of us show up on a Sunday morning. I know this is true for myself. Uh, you know, I, I come on Sundays, and any time I come to meet with the body, it's with an expectation and a hunger. And that hunger is to connect with the living God. It's a desire to be with Jesus, to hear his voice, to experience the power of his presence, to sit at his feet. And so I I, I believe many of you would share that hunger, that desire, that longing. And so this morning, I want to invite all of us to listen to Jesus together. Uh, I want to, my hope is to give you some actually like really simple and practical tools, some practices that you can take home, that you can experiment with in, a, in an effort to connect with Jesus more regularly. Right, that this doesn't have to be the only space that you feel like there's, there's clear framework or um, a way to hear God's voice. But there are many other ways. And so I think this is important because I believe that intimacy with Jesus is vital. It's the most important thing. It's, it's this powerful, relational, and ongoing interaction with our risen King that is the source it's the source out of which all spiritual life and disciplines flow. Every other thing that we think about, about what God wants us to do or be for him, flows out of that dependence on and ongoing interaction with the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is, it is really engaging in that pursuit of connecting with Jesus that is most important in our Christian life. I'm convinced that for the follower of Jesus, true worship, righteous living, and purposeful mission, they all flow from this connection to and dependence on Jesus alone. So, so today we're going to actually focus in on one aspect of connecting with Jesus, and that is hearing his voice. And that's for two reasons. One, communication is the foundation of intimacy in any relationship, uh, whether a spouse or a friend, if you stop communicating, uh, intimacy shuts down pretty quickly. If you stop hearing what's on their heart and communicating your own, that sense of connection quickly is lost. 
And so, so we, we want to hear God's voice. And the other reason is that uh, along with that, there's often this struggle that I hear from other followers of Jesus, that even though the desire is there, there's a sense of often feeling stuck or far from God, that Jesus is far off, that we're not sure how to or when we have heard his voice. In, in fact, it's like intimacy with Jesus is kind of this spiritual jackpot or, or, or um, slot machine. Thank you. And, and you're hoping for a jackpot, but just like a slot machine, most of the time you kind of strike out and you're left with nothing. And so you end up in a kind of a state of, of disillusionment, dryness, disconnection, or even disbelief. We were wondering, is, is this Jesus even really true? Is he, is he who he says he is? And we wonder because our shepherd king feels far away. Even though he said himself in Luke 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. These are the words of Jesus. They're a promise that we come to him today with. Let's invite the Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you with our worship and our praise. We welcome you with our connectedness to one another. We set aside our expectations and our agenda, and we look to you as our source. We invite you into this space and we invite you to speak. We say to you, God, we want to hear you. We want to draw near to you. We want to sit at your feet and listen. Speak now your words to us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at three questions. Three simple questions about God speaking. And the first one is simple. How does God speak to us? I mean, that's the most important, right? How, how is it that we should expect to hear from God? And so I want to look at two texts quickly that lead into our main text that Charles read for us this morning. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So if you, if you have a Bible this morning, feel free to turn there. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. author of Hebrews begins his book saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in the Old Testament, we learn from Hebrews that God spoke through prophets. Special people he picked out to be spokespeople on his behalf. To, to share his words with the people of Israel. And these prophets, they, they carry tremendous spiritual authority. As well as the solemn responsibility. 
What they spoke carried life and death implications for God's people. If they obeyed, they were promised blessing and, and to be provided for. If they disobeyed, and oftentimes it meant death or, or uh, to be cast out of their land, to be invaded by enemy armies. The prophet's role was significant because all that God spoke to his people came through them. But then we see quickly in Hebrews that the, that need for an intermediary, for a prophet to operate in between God and man, was removed when Jesus came. Because Jesus actually was the full embodiment of God's word to man. He was, he was God's voice made tangible and physical. Where God's word became something we could see and touch and feel as well as hear. The vocal cords, the reverberations of Jesus' own voice was a manifestation of the very word of God. And so this embodiment of God's word changed the dynamic of how God spoke to his people. And Hebrews says, in these last days, he's spoken to uh, to us by his son. But what's also important to see is that that didn't end when Jesus left earth to return to heaven, to return to his father's side. In fact, he promised his disciples that he would continue to speak and explain to them how that would happen. So uh, the second preface text, John 14, 25 through 26. So this is uh, right before John 16, which is our main text. So in John 14, Jesus is speaking in the upper room. This is the night before the crucifixion. He's sharing with them an expectation of here's what's about to happen. And here is what's going to happen with you once I'm crucified and resurrected. Here's what's going to happen for you and, and what you can expect. And he says this to them, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus gives his disciples this expectation that another Another personhood of God, another part of God is coming to encounter them and to speak to them on his behalf after he leaves earth. And then again in John 16, what Charles read, Jesus says clearly, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so Jesus establishes kind of this chain of communication where he says many times in the New Testament that he says what he hears from the Father. The Father speaks through the person of Jesus Christ. And that after Jesus ascended into heaven to be by the Father's side, that he was going to speak to the Spirit. And the Spirit would speak to us whatever the Spirit hears Jesus say. And this is not just something that would happen, but was an ongoing thing that would continue to happen The Spirit would remind the disciples of what Jesus had already said, as well as share new things. And so, in these texts, Jesus makes it clear. He's not done speaking to us. 
He has more to say, and he's sending the Holy Spirit to, to share those things with us. And so he's, he ma- creates this very clear picture that the Holy Spirit is the conduit of God's voice to us, his word to us, to, and to all followers of Jesus. He is the one who reminds us of what Jesus has said, reveals God's truth anew, and continues to speak on Jesus' behalf. So this living and active conversation, this ongoing relationship we have with the Holy Spirit, it is this that's the source out of which all communion and spiritual discipline and insight and direction flows for us. So you may say, well, Josh, that's, that's all good and well, but that doesn't help me feel any closer to Jesus when I don't feel like I'm hearing his voice. The Spirit can seem transient in itself because it's not physically a, a physical form that we can touch and hear and feel in, in many cases. And so, so we feel still hindered from hearing the Spirit's voice. But at least we know, okay, the answer to that first question, how is God speaking? Jesus made it really clear. I have things I want to say to you. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to speak what I speak. So the second question is, well, well, what keeps us from hearing the spirit's voice? What hinders us? What stops us from really being confident that we are able to hear God? Why is it so often that that we as Christians struggle to hear his words, to discern his voice, or to have any kind of confidence that we really have heard from Jesus. So I want to share three, three barriers, three kind of common hindrances that stop us. And, and the first one, I think, is, is the most important. And that's what I, I call cultural brokenness, which leads to a kind of poor theology, whether explicit or implicit. It's a belief about how God works, and how he engages with us that's drawn out of our cultural brokenness. Let me explain what that means. So in the West, in Western Christianity, especially in the Protestant and evangelical circles of our faith, there's a really strong emphasis on on the intellect and the cognitive. And that's led to really teaching that acceptable ways to hear from God are in a narrow few spiritual disciplines. I want you to get this, that, that, that our culture kind of tells us that, that there's only a few ways that we can really encounter God. And the most conservative of our churches, God's, God's words are only expressed in the canon of Scripture. What's written in the Bible is the only means we have of hearing the living God. But even if in, in some of our churches allowances is, are made outside of that, it still often stays in that realm of the cognitive. We frame our interactions with Jesus solely in the space of intellect and knowledge, gathering information and understanding. And so our cultural brokenness limits our faith into only acts of thinking and knowing and nothing else. So... I want to dig a bit deeper here because this is kind of hard territory to tread. It touches on really how we think the world works, how we think God works. And I started to wrestle with this a few years ago at a conference in Denver. I went to a conference called Q where Christian pastors, theologians, philosophers would come and speak on on, uh, cultural issues of the day. And my favorite talk of that whole conference 
It's like these little TED Talks, 10 or 15 minutes. It was by a, a man by the name of James K.A. Smith. He's an author and Christian philosopher. I'd recommend it, really most everything he's written. But he spoke about this rationalization of our faith. And, and what he, the talk he gave was our secular age. If you, if you want to look it up on YouTube, I highly recommend watching it. He says all of these things much better than I can. In fact, I'm going to share with you a quote from that talk where he talks about how the Reformation and the rise of secularism produced this flattening of our spirituality. So Smith says, In a secular age, we've sort of unhooked the cosmos from its creator. And in many ways, we have to be honest that the Protestant Reformation was one of the engines that drove this disenchantment, perhaps unintentionally. All kinds of aspects from the fallout of the Reformation flattened the world and left us with a, with a sterility of naturalism. It evacuated the cosmos, all of creation, of mystery and transcendence. And here's the problem. It did the same thing to Christianity. It enclosed us in a kind of claustrophobic lecture hall. The church becomes this box where brains on a stick receive information in messages. And we flatten Christianity in a dynamic Charles Taylor calls excarnation. We disembodied it. It became less communal, less material, less sacramental. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. He took God's message, God's word, God's voice to his people, and he made it tangible. He embodied it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And inadvertently, this this glorification of of thinking and enlightenment and the cognitive function of, of, of mankind has moved our faith only into the realm of learning and thinking and philosophizing. But but Smith argues, he goes on in this talk to propose that the future of the church is actually ancient. One full of sacrament, liturgy, mystery, and meat. It is a mystical and enchanted revelation that the cosmos is charged with the grandeur and glory of God. Now that's a vision that excites and taps on that hunger in my soul to be with Jesus. To experience him in a tangible way not just to gather information and facts about him. So what hinders us from hearing him? As we've said, this glorification of the cognitive to the exclusion of every other part of us limits how we can connect with God. See, we're not just brains on a stick. Men and women, I want to encourage you this morning. You aren't just a brain on a stick. We are thinking beings, but we are also emotional beings. We're creative and imaginative beings. We're instinctual and habitual beings. We're experiential and communal beings. So your emotions, there aren't any more broken or fallen than your thoughts. And that's a hard thing for us in our culture to grapple with. 
We often glorify our thoughts as, as holier and more sanctified than emotion. In fact, we often, we, we invite Jesus to sanctify our minds and then we kind of remove him from the process and try to use our thinking to sanctify the rest of us. I'm going to think that, you know, if I can just think about what's true, I can make that habit go away. I can stop feeling these negative emotions that I'm feeling and I don't like. And we try to sanctify ourselves by leveraging only our mind. Instead of presenting all of our members to Jesus and allowing him to transform every part of our being. And I believe Jesus wants every part of us. And not just to to sanctify it, but actually to redeem it, to make it valuable that every part of you, your thoughts, your emotions, your dreams, your imagination, your creativity, your instincts, all of that can be a vehicle for intimacy and connection with Jesus. So I want you to hear that again. Every part of you, your thoughts, your emotions, your dreams, your creativity, your instincts, all of the things that make up who you are, Jesus can redeem and wants to use as a vehicle for connection and intimacy with him. So we we see that Jesus speaks to us in many ways, but the Spirit is the one that reveals truth. And it's communion with this Spirit of God, no matter the way, no matter the part of our being that he's speaking to us, that's most important in truly discerning God's voice. It's connectedness to God's spirit that helps us discern what he's truly saying. So the second barrier to hearing God's voice is fear and wounding. And these are two parts that kind of work together. The first fear that I hear from people a lot is, well, I don't know that that's really God. Maybe that's just something in my head that I'm thinking when I hear that small voice. What if I get it wrong? I could hurt myself or someone else. And so that that fear can paralyze us from even engaging the spirit at all, except in the most safest and controlled, what we think is controlled ways of discerning God's word. And so a corollary of this, a connection to this, is those who've been wounded, right? Those who've received a word of the Lord from someone else that was just off or incorrect or shared in a harmful way, and they've been damaged by that. And for them now, pain is connected to hearing from Jesus in certain ways. And so there's a resistance to engage and a fear of being hurt again. So they say, well, I just, I only want the safest or most controlled forms of engaging with God. That's all I can allow. So the way forward in both of these situations, fear and wounding, is actually community. It's, it's each other. It's being connected to the body of Christ. Because it's when we are together that we can encourage and correct and question and together look to God for insight. And it's bringing, it's kind of having a safe space where we, we can talk about what we're hearing from God and we don't have to get it right, but we can discern together and as a body discern what is true and what the Spirit speaks that protects us from this sense of both fear of being wounded or also that I have to be an arbiter of the truth and take the Spirit's place. I have to get it right every time or there's no sense in ever listening. So this posture of togetherness and listening, it actually also honors the way God speaks because often he speaks to us as a community. He speaks to us for one another, not just for ourselves in a, in a narrow silo. 
So this last, uh, this last obstacle to hearing God's voice is, is fairly simple. It's just passivity. Often for these other reasons, we just become disenchanted. And we, and we choose to sit on our hands. We say we want to hear from God. We long to connect with him. But we don't do much about it. And we don't know how to engage. We don't know how to be intentional. And so I want to encourage us this morning to take a new posture, which is similar to like when we have a conversation, there's this thing called active listening, where you actually lean forward and you make eye contact and you you shift your body posture. And that lets the other person know, I care what you're talking about. I want to hear more. I want you to open up your heart to me. I want you to share what's deep inside. You know, if we turn away and we look on our phones and and we seem disconnected, the other person is likely going to shut things down. And and we see that same principle in the scriptures when we have a conversation with God. He says, seek after me, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And so it's that posture of active listening. We don't force God to speak, but it invites him to open things up to us. And for us to be ready to receive. Before I dig into some specifics, those practical things I told you about at the beginning, things that you could practice or experiment with, I want to share one story of of what this looks like. What does it look like when we hear God's voice in kind of a non-traditional way and it actually impacts life, who we are and what we do in in, in a significant way? And so I want to go back to uh, 2009. My wife, Christy, is back there. We, we, we were at a church called Covenant Community. It was a real small church, um, but a tight-knit community. And I had just agreed to a year-long commitment to be a deacon there. And at the same time, we were preparing to go as missionaries to China, as Chris shared. And um, during this process, I think it was fall of 2009, Christy was just in her time listening to God, heard him say something unexpected. She heard the voice of the Spirit say, your family is supposed to join Christ the Rock, which was the name of, the, of renewal at that time. And uh, that made zero sense for us. I mean, we, we were committed to this other church. I just made this commitment to be a deacon. We were preparing to go to China. So having a sending church that could support us is really important to that even being possible. Changing churches in the midst of all of this transition made zero sense. There was no apparent wisdom in it. So Christy kind of, she wrote this in a Word document, saved it on her computer and kept it to herself and said, I I don't know what to do with this, God. I think this is you, but I'm not sure how to share this or how it would be helpful at this point. So about three months later, um, I I get called into an emergency deacons and elders meeting. And um, our church had, had slowly been shrinking and our pastor announced that he was leaving. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This was it. In fact, that night, everyone voted and said, we're disbanding the church. And I was just like, I was in shock. This, my life had just become unhinged. Everything I was depending on and looking for, for support and the, the ability to, to answer God's call to China was completely stripped out from underneath me. And uh, I mean, I went home just kind of really fearful and freaking out. And I was dreading having to share with Christy, like, like we don't have a, a church. And um, I sat down with her, and as I shared, she didn't look afraid. And she pulled out her computer, and she opened up the Word document, and she said, look, three months ago, I heard this from God. 
this is where we're supposed to go. We're supposed to go, go join Renewal. And I was, I was just dumbfounded. But I said, I, I guess that's what we have to do. Let's do it. And a week later, I'm having coffee with Chris Bennett. And all I can say is the Holy Spirit was there. In a matter of three to four months, we had formed deep friendships, real relationship. We had integrated into this body in a way that I could have never hoped or manufactured on my own. And it was clear that God was in it. And this church was the one that sent us and empowered us to go as missionaries to share the gospel with those in China. And I look back at that and I see that never would have happened had God not been at work and had God not spoken to my wife. So it's that kind of thing that it's like, wow, you can't, you can't encapsulate that and, and put it in a you know, three-step process. You can't force God to speak that way, but we long to hear from him that way. And here's how we can posture ourselves. So the third question is, how can we become better listeners? How can we be active listeners to the Spirit? So this, this posture of active listening, it's, it's, I, I don't want to portray it again as a formula. It is a posture. It's, it's just aligning yourself in a position to receive. You're not forcing God's hand. You're just creating the, the right environment where he says, this is where I like to speak. So the first thing is clearing the space. This is just creating margin. We have really busy, hectic lives. I mean, everybody in here, you've got, you've, you know, if you've got kids, you've got schools and sports practices and, and full-time jobs and you've got church events and small groups and you've got 17 shows on Netflix that you've got to, I mean, you've got to be binge-watching because that is how life gets done. And, and any space you have, you fill with more Netflix shows. You know, I mean, because I've got to be doing And that leaves no margin in our life. There's no space for God to share something that doesn't fit into the structures and rigid timelines that we already have formed. And so I want to encourage you to try to look for margin and make intentional sacrifice to create margin. It's in this white space of life where we give Jesus room to scribble questions illustrate dreams, paint reflections, illuminate exhortation, and sketch his vision for our future. It's a space that's not written on, on the page. It's a margin where he can say something and you have room to write it down. Margin is secured by three boundaries. So it's, it's time, but it's also spa- a place, and it's permission. So the time, you have to have time set aside. If you're going to listen... You can't have a conversation with your wife unless you schedule the date night, right? Like, it, it's just not going to happen. The kids are going crazy. You got work. You got, you have to set aside time to talk with Jesus, to listen to Jesus. But you also have to think about where is the space where I'm not going to be distracted, where the disruptions and the craziness of my life are not going to shut down that conversation. And then you have to give yourself permission. Because even if you, even if you get a retreat house and you go away for a weekend, and you think, you know, I, I, I've, I've set aside the time, I've set aside the place. If your mind and your heart is caught up in the anxieties and stresses of your daily life, it's going to be hard for you to hear. So you have to give yourself permission to, to trust Jesus with those things and create some space. 
So the second thing is building a canvas. This is the hardest thing. It's the best thing, okay? So a canvas is this idea. Think of about a projector, okay? You got a, you got a really nice high-definition projector, but you need a screen to really cast a clear image. And so if Jesus is projecting images and speaking pictures into our life and ideas, we can actually create a canvas. We can create a screen upon which those images and those words take shape. It's giving Jesus a specific opportunity or vehicle through which to speak. So, and these don't have to be, again, super, super complicated. It can be very simple. Canvas building um, it, it can be broken down into three things. Reflection, declaration, and imagination. So reflection is just looking backward. You're looking backward at your life and you're saying, okay, these are the things that God has already done. Or even over history, this is who God is. And you see this in the Psalms. The psalmist looking backward, and through that remembrance, God speaks into the present day and, and reassures them, gives them confidence, directs them. The second practice of declaration is speaking God's words to one another. When we remind each other of who God is and what he's done and what he's saying, we hear from God through each other. And then the final one is kind of the hardest one, again, with our cognitive and intellectual bent. But it's imagination. It's inviting Jesus to speak into those spaces that we often don't think about as opportunities to hear from God. Whether it's our dreams before you go to bed at night saying, Jesus, would you speak to me as I sleep through my dreams tonight? Picturing images or visions where we invite Jesus, we invite the Holy Spirit to speak as we imagine something. Or creating artwork, music, or poetry, we invite the Spirit to imbue and to speak through. The most important aspect of this kind of canvas building is intentionality, saying, Holy Spirit, this time and this activity, it's set apart for you. Would you speak to me, reveal truth to me, open up the character of God to me through this activity? As we move through and complete an exercise like this, we can ask ourselves, where was God's presence or leading evident during this time? Does anything specific stand out to me? What new awareness or insights do I now have? And the last, the last step in this kind of active listening process, something I call becoming an echo chamber. And so this is um, oftentimes when I'm coaching. So I coach people through their calling and clarifying what God wants them to do. And, and they'll say things. I'll ask a question. They'll respond. And then I'll simply respond back saying exactly what they just said. And they'll look at me like they had heard it for the very first time. When we hear God's words spoken again and again, we gain new understanding and insight. So when you hear something from God, even if it's not what you were hoping to get clarity on, speak it back to God. Speak it to yourself over and over again. Speak it to other people. Take it to the scriptures and look how it, how it fits in or, or is, is supported by, by what we know is true. Become an echo chamber of the voice of God. Become resonant with the things he's saying to you. And in that resonance, you actually will gain deeper understanding and experience the nature and person of Jesus in a new way. And even when you haven't heard what you hope, you can begin to process and respond to what you do hear. 
And that provides a helpful way forward because as we stay connected to Jesus, fear and anxiety of what is uncertain melts into curiosity and hopefulness. That intimacy with Jesus is what is most important. Not that we get the information, but that we, that we are actually with the person of Jesus. So the more I experiment with these, these simple things, the more I feel connected to him and aware of what he's saying. And, it, and it, it renews my sense of peace. It reframes uncertainty within this kingdom perspective. And I begin to fix my eyes and attune my voice to the one who's proven faithful time and time again. So when we pursue the words of Jesus, we not only gain understanding and insight, but intimacy with him as well. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, we want to hear your voice. And we thank you that you have given your spirit to have an ongoing conversation with us, to speak the things he hears you saying. Help us to listen. Help us to be intentional, to posture ourselves toward you, to draw near and to sit at your feet. Help us to find new ways to connect with you, that our lives might honor you, that our, our hearts might align with you, that we might be a light like you are a light in this world. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.